0: Hello and welcome to episode 287 of Fergo on the Freak. I'm the bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew RLP. And join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How are you going there, mate?
1: I'm soaking wet. Not just moist? No, no, it's beyond moist. I'm like, uh, what's beyond moist? Soaking wet, I guess. Yeah, I guess. That's a good way to put it. Um... And, you know, it, it's interesting because people go crazy when it rains in Australia, apparently.
0: Yeah, it, it's a crazy phenomenon. Mm. Um, oh, we're used to drought. Yeah. Uh, we should be used to floods. They happen just as frequently. Yes. just They don't last as long, that's all. Yeah. I don't know. People are weird. They really are. Do you
1: know, I was in a, a car park the other day. I'm trying to get out of it. I made that, you know, you when you make a mistake. And you think, I'll go and grab myself, you know, some takeout. But it's at the same time that schools get out. And you oh, get yes. trapped in a car park. And it it was raining. And I saw cars doing the most crazy things in a car park. I can't believe I didn't see a crash or somebody get run over or something. Because I was watching people act like complete
0: idiots. Almost like they're in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. The COVID's falling out of the sky. It's liquid COVID. <laughs> We're going to die. Ah, uh, uh, tell you what, though. hmm I've got no segue for this.
1: It's I, so, I do. I do. You do? Yeah. See, so if a car had smashed into me, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm lucky bro- where this is going already. Yeah. And broken my body. And they yeah. had to use the jaws of life to get me out. Yeah. Like they did with Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. And they put me on the goonie, and they're like, well, His legs are mangled. We've got to cut his pants off. And they cut my pants off, and they'd go, Damn, this man's got some smooth cags on him. And the reason I have smooth cags is because I go to manscaped.com. If you go to manscaped.com yourself, you can get 20% off and free shipping for the Lawnmower 3.0 which is a lithium-ion-powered love machine. It's got a light. It's waterproof. It doesn't care about the rain. Rain, it works best when it's soaking wet. If you go there and you put in the exclusive code for our listeners, which is NRL, you get 20% off on free shipping on the three 3.0 and absolutely everything else on their website. We recommend that you do it because you don't want to be the person who gets cut from a vehicle with the jaws of life and they say, wow, this person looks like they've got Grizzly, grizzly Adams in their pants. So go to manscaped.com, put in our code NRL, and buy the point
0: 3.0. That was perfect. Thank you. Brilliant work. I um, try. You do try, and, you know, it's come off. It's done, It's a brilliant performance. That's I thought what I was pretty said. good at segues, but you've, uh, you've destroyed me.
1: Yeah, well, you know, anytime I can talk about my balls... Of course, I'm going to take it to my balls. Absolutely.
0: Um, We've decided we're just going to wing it this episode.
1: Yeah, you know what? i tell you what. Let me start. How ridiculous is it that we we play rugby league, we want it to be a, a nice, entertaining, flowing game, and then someone scores a try, and then everything stops, and somebody in Redfern in the bunker looks at what happened, and then they decide that we need to take the points off the board.
0: Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's a better system than scoring the try and then go, let's go talk to the people at Redfern have a look at it before we decide whether we award the points or not. Yeah. This system is apparently better. Makes no sense at all. Like, it's rugby the league's the single most dumbest fucking thing that's happened in the last 12 months. It's horrible. It's really horrible.
1: Like, rugby league's the only sport where you take points off the board that isn't darts, and darts
0: isn't a sport. hey hey hey. darts is awesome darts is not a sport it combines mass and throwing shit at things how is that not a sport have you ever seen the video of the dude that gets hit in the head with a dart no Oh, i've got to show you it after
1: the podcast it's really funny okay (laughs)
0: sounds good (laughs) yeah (laughs) it sticks in his skull hey it's, this is this is the dumbest thing because they you know all the talk was before is mm-hmm. you know oh why we hate the, the bunker system it's the pettiest fucking complaint it's yeah. like oh well, people don't get to enjoy the moment they've got to sit there and wait and watch a big TV screen and go yeah and then when it comes up try they have their moment or if there's no try they have their moment yeah now. You're giving them two moments. You get them you give them the moment where they can sit there and cheer up a try scored, and then you can make them all completely fucking furious. Yeah, like nothing short of furious. There's yeah. no is nobody... that the result you want. Exactly. Like
1: why are we having like why is our sport saying, you know what we want to do? We wanna bring people to football games and if things don't quite work out for them, we wanna
0: we want them to leave angry. Yeah. We want them to be livid. Yeah. This is how we're gonna make people love our game even more, is we want to piss them off like they've never been pissed off before.
1: It just makes no sense. And it That's just goes concept.
0: against it goes against like the natural flow of, of what a sporting contest should be. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe this is just a, a Pete of thing to try and make the scoring somewhat similarish to AFL. And bear with me on this. The reason why I say AFL is because he spends a lot of time talking about it. <laughs> He tells us all, all the time how much he hates AFL. He talks about it far too much, though. And I thought maybe, you know, AFL's got this thing where if you miss the big sticks, if you get it through the ones next to it, yeah, we'll give you a point for trying. Mm-hmm. It's, and if you hit one of the little sticks on the side, you know, you don't get any points. You go, well, you get a point for it in the big sticks in the middle. I mean, you don't get points for it in the ones on the side. Who knows? I think maybe he's gone. yeah, you know, well, let's just give you points, take them away and fucking move it around. You know, AFL's... Like by people in Victoria, maybe this will get them on board. I don't know what he's thinking.
2: Yeah, I'd like I him
0: to stop. It. I'd like him to stop fucking with the rules and I'd like him to stop talking about AFL. I, I agree
1: 100%. <laughs> I don't listen to the game this year. I have specifically not listened to the game's officials because, like, I mean, Volantis, when he talks, there's a lot of gibbering happening, and then when Andrew Abdo says something, it's just like words that have nothing behind them. Like he's never said
0: anything ever. I like to call him the roundabout. <laughs> Why like, is that? Because every time he talks it just goes round round in circles if you don't actually go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it is. It's just a roundabout you're going, I'm in the same place I was before I answered the question.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what are we doing? You can ask him a question and
1: get no answer, but he's talked at you for two and a half minutes about yeah, it. Yeah you're like, I'm confused.
0: A little bit nauseous and dizzy. (laughs) I'm less educated than before. What the hell's going on? (laughs) Someone's blindfolded me and spun me around in circles. It's
1: it's very weird. And I tell you what, I'm I'm over the six again rule. Like I'm watching these games, and I understand there's maybe things referees see that you don't see, but there's just too many times where I watch a game and I'm like, why is it six again? Mm -hmm. And it'll happen over and over again in a football match.
0: The thing that's happening too is um, I know been meaning to try and track this. I know a few people on Twitter who do, me, my uh, stats brethren, because yeah. um, I have got a feeling that m- there are more set restarts called in the first half than the second half.
1: I've yeah, I saw somebody posting about that too. I can't remember who it was. Uh, was it Rugby League eye test or it
0: might be? Mm. I I tweeted it during the trials because I noticed in two trials matches there. There was a lot of set restarts in the first um, 35 minutes of a game and then Mm -hmm. probably two after that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. So I don't know if there's something in that or not. I think they're a little bit willy-nilly. Yeah, so do I.
1: Uh, And and because it's such a big momentum changer, like, I don't know, I I just don't like it. I think sometimes you see them given when it's obvious, and then other times where the exact same infringement will happen, and they don't give it, and then they'll give it for nothing at all.
0: And that's inconsistency, and we're trying to get, I thought we were getting rid of inconsistencies. Well, as we know, old Vlandes does like the, his mates at the telly, telly telly, and they love bashing the refs. Mm. So why not make their job easier? This is his, his mates in at the telly. Mm-hmm by making ref jobs harder and putting less of them on the field so they've got more chance of fucking it up. True. Hey, did you – you know, speaking of inconsistencies, did, did you see the hit
1: that uh, Kyle Felt put on Jack Bird today?
0: Yes, there he, were two. It,
1: yeah, exact same tackles. Yeah. One of them gets penalised and the other one doesn't.
0: Exactly and right.
1: it was crazy because they were literally the exact same tackle.
0: Yeah, they, were and they were great tackles. I don't think it should have been a penalty at all. Nah, they were fucking sweet. Mm. So he drove in. as a clear one-on-one thing. He got in low. He picked Bird up and dropped him on basically his back on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. On both occasions, um, that was just a strong tackle. That's all it was. There was no intent to duck him on his head. No. But because all the momentum was with him and he's driving forward, and Bird's obviously, he's, you know, his center of gravity gets changed completely as soon as he gets lifted off the ground he's going to be falling backwards, so he's going to go past the horizontal, but he doesn't go past by much. So I know if we're being literal with the law, then yeah, it should be a penalty, but they're not driving head first. He landed on his back, not on his head both times. They called the first one um, and penalised it and put him on report, and the second one they let go, and they were both, they were genuinely fucking identical. Yeah, it was crazy how
1: how identical they were, and just two great tackles. Maybe the two best
0: tackles this season. They are so far. Yeah. Oh, crackers. In yeah. the game before, uh, Latrell Mitchell got sent to the sin bin, Oh. Because he put his elbow out and grazed Daly Cherry Evans on the hip. And Daly Cherry Evans went down like a sniper just shot him six times in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> not, but after he realized, oh, shit, I'm not going to score here, maybe if I fall over, I might probably get a penalty. So he's running along. He takes two steps after the bump, and then looks around. <laughs> he sort of looks to the side a bit, and then wobbles and falls over. He goes, what "The fuck is this shit?" And yeah, then, like sure, at... we saw it. Sorry, no. No, you say.
1: I was going to say, like at best, Latrell Mitchell's arm grazed Cherry Evans' side. Mm. Like that's it. it. It wasn't even as though you could say he hit him.
0: No, because. Latrell was off balance at the time, so all he could do was fling an elbow out, which was never mm-hmm. going to be enough to throw DC off off balance, especially when it hit him in the hip,
2: mm-hmm.
0: maybe even a little bit higher than that. Just seemed weird, really weird. And then we saw in the second half, DC tried to milk a penalty by stepping over um, one of the south defenders and then playing the ball into him. So clearly milking the penalty, because he thought, Oh, if I play the ball to him he kicked the ball back hard so it would roll into the south side on the ground. He couldn't get out of the way. So he's intentionally trying to milk a penalty there. And the ref called him out on it. And says, No, you're trying to milk a penalty. And he's like, oh, Okay. And he looked like he's about to have an argument and then just fucking walk back. The referee just moved on from him. Well, and the ref- he said to the referee, Can I
1: challenge it? And the referee was like, No. And it was <laughs> it was interesting because to me it was like it was like old-school refereeing in terms of if the referee wanted to be pedantic, he probably could have given that penalty to me. And he was like, no, I see what you're doing, and I'm not having any of it. Like, this is a cynical move on your behalf. And Brayton Nasta made a comment which really stuck with me. It was really interesting. And it was actually really interesting, and it stuck with me for the right reasons. He said that he was fine with it because the referee told Cherry Evans to clear the ruck. And we don't often hear about the attacking player needing to make sure the ruck is clear before they play the ball. And I just thought it was interesting because, like, you just never hear about that. And it was cool to hear Braith and to bring that up. Um, but But I loved it by the referee because... It could have been one of those things where we all looked at it and was like, "Oh man, that was a crappy penalty," and the referee was just like, "Nah, that's we don't do that."
0: Not especially given watch. where, yeah, especially where the where Manly were positioned, like they were inside South half. Mm-hmm. Not that made much difference because every time Manly got inside the uh, South ten, they just choked with the ball. Yeah, they really did. Manly
1: looks really, really bad, like scarily bad, this early in the season. Um, and and you look at their squad, like I was saying to you before the podcast, there's half a dozen players in that Manly side, I don't know. And the players that are there, like DCE, I'm not going to be too critical of because he carries the side quite a lot. He's not playing his best football so far this season, but he's got a lot of mates. Foran was pretty much anonymous. Walker was horrible. And there's just too many players in this team that I don't think are NRL quality. And they, and the thing that really worries me is they're getting worse. And they've re-signed Des Hasler now to an incentive-based contract. My feeling is that like either Des Hasler's good enough to be your coach, either you think he's the guy, or he's not. And if you think he's the guy, but only if it's a cut-price
0: contract, then he's not the guy. I I agree. I don't see why, especially this early on in the season. You know what it reminds me of.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Reminds me of the dragons and Paul McGregor. Yeah, yep. but why, after the shit season they had last year and the woeful start they've had to this year, do you sign Hazler to a contract extension? Why not just say, you know what, we're not going to worry about your contract until we get to the very end of it, and then we'll assess the situation. Right now, they're saying to Des Hasler keep doing what you are doing; it's good enough. Yeah, and, and it's not.
1: No, and like, who are they? Who are they bartering against? You know, it, who are they negotiating against that wants Des Hasler as another NRL club? No one.
0: Yeah, no you one know.
1: wanted him when when the Bulldogs punted him. Spent it, a year out of the game. People shocked when Manly re-signed him. And look, he come back and he had a good first season, but every year since then has been worse and worse. Like, and now it's like dramatically worse. Like yeah. the club is in, now has to rebuild worse, and I cannot believe that they. It just makes no sense at all. At least with McGregor, you could say, you know what, he'd been there for a long while. He didn't really have great runs on the board, but there were periods of time where they looked all right. At least you could go back to those. You can't really do that with Hasler.
0: No, and I mean, he's he's a stat for you, okay? In um, was it the last uh last thirteen games? it is, 12, no, it'd be last, yeah, last 13 games, mm-hmm. since around 12 last year, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 games, right, they've conceded 400 points, jeez, so it's about 33 odd points a game, 34 points a game, mm-hmm. that's dire, and right now, their current losing streak is, sorry, their current streak of games where they've conceded 20 points or more is mm-hmm. now at at 11. There's only 19 other teams that have done that. The West Tigers team currently at the moment is also on 11.
1: Yeah, and that's insane. And, like, the West Tigers are an infinitely better team than this Manly team, I believe.
0: Yeah, and this is the thing, OK, is that the West Tigers are currently on 11 straight games where they've conceded 26 points or more. Mm-hmm. Manly's done the same thing, except they had one game against the Bulldogs last year, which they won in that streak where the yep. Bulldogs scored 20, but every other game they've conceded 26 points or more in that streak of 11. From what you've seen so far this year, and look, it's weird
1: hearing people talking about the season when, we, when we've really literally had just one round, full round of footy, um, but from what you've seen, would you say the three worst teams pretty pretty comfortably Manly, the Cowboys, and – oh, man, the other team slipped my mind.
0: Manly, the Cowboys. Cowboys. Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Yeah, the, the thing with the Bulldogs is you could always give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt because their defense was good. Mm-hmm. But now their defense is shit. Yeah. So the one redeeming aspect they had is gone. Um, the Broncos are still – horrible. The, the Broncos are horrible. Their attacks improved, but their defense is still just dog shit.
1: Yeah, it is. That's true. But I I, I have a feeling, I, I don't and I I, I just have a feeling they're going to get better. I have a oh. feeling they're going to take a few weeks to get their feet again and that they'll turn it around. Not to the point where they're going to be in the finals or anything, but I, I think that they're going to be outside of that bottom three. I feel like that bottom three for me, I'd be Kind of surprised if anyone else finished in the bottom three apart from those three clubs.
0: Yeah, it's looking that way at the moment. Um, Manly's considered 72 points already in two games. Yeah, it's insane. The Bulldogs insane. 60 in two games. Cowboys have considered 49, which is not so bad. Um, the Broncos, I mean, they've got time. So that game on, uh, what was it, Friday?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There was a try that was scored in the middle. From I think it was Jared Wallace actually. And when when you looked at it, he was he's been dished a genuine crash ball, and that was where essentially you, you're given a ball, knowing that the defense is going to stop you from getting to the line. Your job is not to score a try or even try and get a try. You try mm. you, you, what you're trying to do there is get to the ground face first as quickly as possible and play the ball as quickly as possible. And stop the defense from sliding so that you're sliding faster in attack than your defense is. Mm. And he just walked around and scored a try. (laughs) he's like, that wasn't supposed to happen. And the Broncos defense is looking around going, I don't know. know." They're not even trying to score there. They're setting up for the next play. Yeah. And you fucking let them through. And that's where the Broncos miss just like veteran players. Well, that's where Josh Maguire usually was. Yeah. You know, sure, he's done a lot of grubby shit in his career, but yeah, he's always been a very, very good and reliable defender. Mm-hmm. Not just tackling, but also making sure that the blokes either side of him are working together. So you've got, you know, a solid trio there in the middle. Yeah. So you always had to pass one off the ruck to get around them. Now you just walk through the middle, and they don't have Payne Haas there either, which is another big body. So they just, that was the softest and worst try to concede is when it's a crash ball. And they the the prop just charges over and scores. West Tigers used to give them away all the time, still do to some degree, but not as often, and not as easily as that. That was meek as hell
1: on the other end
0: of the scale, and it's
1: I don't think it's something to jump up and down about, but the Panthers become the first team since nineteen nineteen to uh not concede a point in their first two games. It's interesting, but
0: I know that studies um they're the first team since nineteen nineteen Mm-hmm. To concede zero points in three premiership games in a row. Oh, okay, I I thought it yeah. was two. No, no team, time. no team has ever started the year until now yeah. having conceded zero points in their opening two games. Penrith is mm-hmm. the only team to have ever done it this year. And look, so it, I, you've seen I, history this year.
1: Yeah, and it, like I, I'm a Panthers fan. I watched both those two games very closely. It's it's nothing to jump up and down about. The Bulldogs' but, attack was diabolical, and the Cowboys' attack was worse in round one.
0: <laughs> like, then, this is the problem with the uh, unfortunate with the stat is that, um, I think I put a put out a tweet earlier, which was the last two hundred and fifty minutes of regular season games played by Penrith. Mm-hmm. They've scored ninety four points to nil, yeah, and they've only had two different opponents in that, and it's the Bulldogs and the Cowboys, yeah. A game each last year and a game each this year. Um, but in saying that, you can only you know do it against you know you can only play against what you're up against.
1: True. Yeah, that's true. And look, the the thing about Penrith and I think you and me talked about it um, on Monday when we last recorded, which by the way is my fault completely. Um, I like this Panthers team. I'm lining it up now with the Manly Seagulls of I think it was 1996 is the best defensive side I've ever seen Um, it's it's incredible what they're doing defensively and and the fact that they're backing it up and they're doing it for a whole 80 minutes it's kind of incredible by the way this leads up to fast forward a week from now when we're talking about Melbourne have scored 70 points against Penrith (laughs) (laughs) it'll be great but what what do you think about them
0: defensively? Oh, I'm, I remember saying last year during during an episode um, that that was the one aspect of their entire performance that no one was talking about, and it's the one that's the most important part of what's made them so good is the way they defend in groups. It's always in pairs, sometimes in threes, but they always defend in pairs, and they're always looking after each other. Um, and they move; you never see them flat-footed, and it means that it's so hard to try and to try and get a one-on-one situation with a runner, even if you have a, a, a player coming back against the line. Um, There's still sliding defenders there. There's still yeah. players hanging around. It's always in groups, and they, they're they so quick laterally. It's hard to find a way through them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they go when they come up against some of the stronger attacking teams. Uh, so it'll be Melbourne, the Roosters, South. They're the three that are going to challenge Penrith. Yeah, uh, challenge their defence. So I'm it'm interesting to see how they go there. I mean, they held up well last year. There's no reason why they can't do it again this year. Um, I think, though, the only thing that's going to catch Penrith out are teams who do arsey shit, and it just flukely works every now and then.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that, because I feel like with Penrith, there's a lot of teams get caught in the monotony of their their, like... Their high completion rates, their good defence and their good field positioning through not only good forward play, but uh, clear his kicking game, long kicking game, which is outstanding. And I, I think teams start to, when they feel under the pump, they go back to their comfort zone, which is a similar sort of game. And if you play that similar game against Penrith, you're going to lose every time. They're just going to strangle you to death. The Storm have done that themselves for years. Um, and I agree with you. I think that if they come up against a team, and I think of like say, like the remember the knights of the early naughties yeah. that would throw the ball around in their own half and, and get around you and make you and just do weird stuff. Um, I, I I agree with you that that's going to be the sort of thing that is going to make Penrith uh, really think about what they've got to do to beat a team, and that's what you need to do because they'll tackle you all day otherwise.
0: Yeah, it's going to be teams that have, you know, they like to create a bit of broken field play, a lot of second phase play, um, and probably a team that's not expected to make the finals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not going to, you know, brag about my team, but the West Tigers are a team that's sort of capable of being in that position because they've got a few players that will do stupid shit, but sometimes the stupid shit once or twice a game might work. Yeah. And that'll be the one time it'll happen because sometimes that stupid crap will come off and you can't defend it no matter who you are. Yeah. And we haven't really seen Penrith having to deal with teams that are good at making broken field play, something that happens all the time because every team is doing everything so structured and Penrith have just decided, let's just have a really structured defense because it shuts down everyone. Yeah. And that's what they did last year so well. And it's working again this year. As I said, it, Hasn't been against pristine and um, attacking sides. But you, you can only play what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And Penrith still haven't got their attack clicking yet.
1: Nah, and, and I, I like
0: the way they're using kick out, it's still weird. I don't it was, think they've worked it out yet. It, it was, was better, better this round. It was better this round. Mm. But yeah, it's still a bit hit and miss. At least they were addition him the ball a little bit more and you got two tries, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's all they got to do. I mean, that's the thing. I it's the sport for the sport for riches out on that side there with Crichton over there as well. Yeah, that's true. I I worry that he
1: is getting left out a little bit because Kickow is on his inside, and everything kind of revolves around Kickow. I mean, you see teams panic and when he doesn't even touch the ball, and so and and I feel like. That's why I'd like to see Kiko roam around the field a little bit more, because I think it would freak other teams out that, okay, now we've got to worry him about the other side of the field, now we've got to worry him about in the middle of the field, and while they're doing all of that, that's when you won't cry to get the ball and use his footwork and his athleticism, which is amazing for someone his size. Um, and and I, I feel as though it's, you know it's almost a bit of an Achilles heel. Have having kick-out, just parked over the one side because, you know, you, you, want to, you want to go to him every time and you're trying not to, but you're still wanting to even when you don't. So I,
0: I, I think, think it wouldn't hurt for Penrith if out. they looked at how they used Latrell Mitchell in the last season, you know, how the Roosters used Latrell Mitchell in his last season with the club because yeah. it was a very similar situation. He had this big, powerful ball runner out on the side there. Mm-hmm. He's got a good offload on him, um, and they just parked him on inside of the field. But every time they went to him, something would happen. I think what they need to do with Kikau is every second run he's got to do when he's out on that side and the play goes that way, and they start sliding left, is make him run either straight or backing towards the post. Yeah. Inside defenders will shit themselves. Yep. You can either give him the ball or you can just pass to Crichton. Crichton, can, he can stand up anyone one-on-one. And that's what you got to, that's how you make a one on one situation. That's how you get Crichton back scoring points again. It it's literally that simple. Yeah. Kick out will draw two defenders every time he runs inside. Easy.
1: And I think with Kickout, you could do weird stuff. Like start him in the play, start him out on the wing. And as you start going out to his wing, just have him running out the back of the play. Just run in infield. Because yeah. everyone's gonna be like the the oh. ball's gonna be coming in, they're gonna be worrying about the outside and they're going to be watching him coming in and it's like how many things can you watch before all of a sudden cry and scoring under the posts
0: exactly right embarrassment of riches out there for him yeah
1: it's uh, it's uh pretty cool to watch and play every week like it's funny watching the games and you'll see people on twitter getting snarky and it's like man if we if we lose the grand final every year i'd be happy with that just all I want's a competitive team. I got my grand final, two thousand three. That's in the that's you know locked away. I'm just happy to have a team that's fun to watch, that's competitive, and that like it it it, it tries hard every week. It's really cool. I'm really enjoying it.
0: Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> Same combinations of words that mean things and it just doesn't come together.
0: Yeah, I understand the language. <laughs> should we uh look at some emails that sounds like a great idea
1: all right so the first one we've got i don't believe we've read this one it's from Nui ash who sends us a lot of emails which is really cool so thank you Nui ash he says and i'm going to read them out and by the way i'm it, when people when i read these emails out i, I recognize this in the last episode i'm not really close to my laptop and so i'm reading them from a fair distance and it's hard to see what they say so, I've, I've made it all bigger this time. So, here we go. Flagrantly felonious Virgo and law-abiding league freak.
0: Let <laughs> This person knows us far too well. I know, right? I've been, um, trying to, I've been trying out the whole good boy behavior thing for a long time, thinking, that you know, you'd be the seen as the bad guy, but you know, someone knows us too good. Yes. Didn't work <laughs> out. Didn't Might work
1: it out. wouldn't melt in my mouth. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk Suwali. There's been plenty of talk about the the physicality of league on the underdeveloped body, which is definitely a key issue. Personally, I feel like this pales in comparison to the psychological and emotional rigours that come with getting a huge pay packet and the media scrutiny around playing first grade, particularly given how flippant Mainstream rugby league journalism can be these days. Here's my idea. If they want to bend the rules for under-18s to get big dollars and play first grade early, I feel like they should have to pass a significant psychological assessment as well as be provided with specialised psychological guidance, including social media training and financial mentoring specific to underage players. Surely it's in the interest of the game to have these young potential stars not burning out prematurely or falling off the wagon. Cheers, Ash. That's good email, Ash. Yeah,
0: I'll tell you what, I think there'd be an awful lot of players who are H thirty five that would fail a bit of the psychological. <laughs> <That was> just, <laughs> do a psychological profile of a rugby league player? Wouldn't that be scary? Yeah, can you count to seventeen? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, look, I, I just think. It's easy to just have one simple rule in place, and that is you can't play t eighteen. Yeah, and just lock it in. If a club wants to burn cash on a seventeen-year-old, so be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said before, I'd, I'd be more inclined to say there's a cap on how much money you can give to a seventeen-year-old, so as to help deal with that issue. Even if for some of it's just delayed. So if you want to sign to up for four hundred grand a year, just say look, he can only learn earn one hundred and fifty until he turns eighteen. Just give the other two hundred and fifty in a delayed payment somewhere else, but just include it in the cap anyway. Um yeah, that's a good idea. But I'd be, I'd be putting a portion of their money aside in a in a secondary account. It's kind of like a trust fund, but in a way that only that player can access when either they retire or they hit a certain age, so that they've got money for when they get old as well. And I'm not talking about putting ninety percent of it in there. Mm-hmm. Do a fifty-fifty split. Yeah. You know, surely a player these days can live off two three hundred thousand dollars a year, and having two three hundred thousand dollars a year sitting, earning interest in a bank account, untouched—that's going to add. That's going to be worth a fair bit by the time you retire. You'd think so, especially if he,
1: if they put it into Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> I I would say uh, the the psychological thing does worry me, and I feel as though that's a lot of why they brought the 18-year-old um, limit in. And it was interesting because they brought that rule in, and then the first time anybody wanted to have a player younger than 18 come into the, the league, they greenlit it. And then Andrew Abdo, who's the CEO of the NRL, said it's a very rare case that this is going to happen. And it's like, well, you're one for one, Andrew. Andrew, so
2: <laughs> like it, it,
1: that's not rare, dude. Um, yeah. But... But, yeah, it. you know, I worry about the psychological thing as well. And, like, I, I look at someone like a Nathan Cleary who come in very young as well. And he had he, he was from a family that had been in rugby league for decades by the time he comes into it. So they know what he's going to face. He's been around athletes all his life. He's been around professional football all his life. And he seemed to, from the outside of it, handle it really, really well. But then there were articles coming out that were, where he was saying some worrying stuff about the pressures that he faced and, and you know, all of the stuff that come on, along in social media that he was reading and things like that and how it was getting him down. And, 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 like, this is a young halfback that has basically played about as well as any young halfback not called Andrew Johns at his age. And to think that it was getting to him, it, it it's a real warning sign, and I think that that's something that the NRL should have taken into account in this case, because it, it, as Ash says, it's not just the physical side which we've talked about, but the like the psychological side of it. it it's it could be really damaging. It could be really really damaging, and that's if he it turns into a superstar. That doesn't even count for all these the young superstars we've seen who don't end up playing first grade at all or who are just all right first
0: graders. Yeah. It's, um, it just came as a bit of a remarkable situation given that during the whole week leading up to this decision, the club that Suwali's going to be playing for, the Roosters, was dealing with the fact that they had two hardened veterans in Boyd Cordner and Nathan Friend's on the sideline contemplating whether they should retire because of head knocks Mm -hmm. and they're in their early thirties. Yeah. And we're discussing about bringing in someone who's about, you know, 14, 15 years younger than them, bringing them into play a bit earlier. You think, why would you expose a 17 year old to those sort of head knocks? Um, Have we learned nothing from when Adam Ritson played? Yeah, it's, It's a worry, and like... We should be learning from mistakes, not constantly making them over and over again. Exactly, and
1: like, I understand that if you get a a teenage sensation, you just want to see him out there. Yeah. But that's why you've got the rule in place, so that you don't get too overly excited by just wanting to see this young black out there and the, the best example and I saw somebody talking about it too during the week I wish I could remember who it was I know we talked about it too it's Benji Marshall he comes into the game he's he's physically clearly as dominant as he was as a playmaker and with his running game physically he wasn't ready for the the workload that the game gives you he's you know, his shoulders were stuffed for a couple of years until he filled out. And since then, he hasn't had any shoulder issues. And I think that that shows what can happen. Like, I mean, very early in his career, we were all wondering, like, is Benjamin Marshall just going to be bashed out the
0: game? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the game was quite fast then. Mm-hmm. Um, surprise, surprise, they're doing the same thing to it now. So it is, it is a genuine concern. Um, and this is the problem with a lot of it now, is that there's, even though there's so much talk about player welfare, you know, mm-hmm. talking about CTE and stuff like that, there still seems to be next to n- no genuine interest in welfare by clubs when it comes to players. Because at any moment, a player can just go to another club and they go, oh, it's not our problem anymore. Someone else's job. And they're just yes. a commodity that they trade from here to there. And they're going to stop looking at them as humans and looking at them as robots. Yeah, and like if you've got, <clears throat> say you've got a player signed up for a three-year deal,
1: which for the vast majority of players is a very long contract, a three-year deal. Um, it's very rarely a player gets more than a three-year deal, unless they're a superstar. Um, like if, say so you've got to play for three years, why would the club, and, and this is what you're talking about, the, if it's in the best interest of that player to sit out a year, because they've got head knocks or they need extra time to develop physically so that they can, you know, fill out or just add enough weight that they can get through games and, and be all right. You can't really wait that year because that's a third of their contract that's gone. And a lot of these clubs will start thinking, Man, I'm developing this player for the next team that comes along and yep. pays them
0: money. And that is that is a problem. Yeah. It's nuts and there's there's just next to nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right.
1: So there's it's, no way around
0: that. No. I that's why they're just gonna trim like commodities all the time.
1: Yeah. It it it's really worrying because I mean, we've seen just this round it, it, the the start of the year. We've seen a few players really cop some head knocks. I mean, we saw um Adam Reynolds in the game just this evening against Manly, he copped a pretty bad head knock. Nath saw Nathan Cleary cop a head knock. And, you know, it's brain damage. We call it head knocks. We call it bump. We call it knocked around. These dudes are getting brain damage out there. And it's, uh, you know, you worry about them all long term and not just in their football career, but in their lives. And as you say, the, the idea that we're going to throw a, a young man that's just out of high school into this, it's, uh, you know, it's not park football. It, it, he's not a, a teenager that's going well in A grade. The NRL is a different beast. Yeah. And it's a worry that the first time they had a chance to say no, we're sticking by this rule, they said, ah, oh, don't worry about the rule, just let him play.
0: Yeah. It does make you wonder, though, if, if something does happen to him. He gets KO'd in his first game. God help, he doesn't. <clears throat> will the NRL take any blame for it, given that they've okayed this?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And, I mean, if like if he came out in his first game and he was KO'd, uh, would they say, look, he can't play for the next year or something along those lines? I don't know. I know the Roosters will be really good with him because they've been good with their other players that have got head knocks. But... Yeah. It's just a, it's a worry. It's a real worry. And its I don't like precedents being set that could expose a young a young man to being hurt when he, he doesn't have
0: to be. Yeah, and it's all for, you know, I, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, look, it, people shouldn't be getting too upset about it because he probably won't play until he's 18 anyway. And going, well, if that's the case, don't green light it. Yeah. Like, yeah. you've got a rule set in place. Just stick by it. You've only got to wait six months or five months and he'll be able to play anyway. Why rush five months?
1: And that's like six or five months extra that he can be in the weights room, that he might fill out a little bit more. That You've got six months to work out whether you want him to play first grade. You know, you might get to that end of that six months and say, you know what, he's filled out a little bit. You know, and we're just not comfortable yet. We'd rather wait until next season because we're at the end of this season now. You know, um, uh, it 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 it's a concern. It's a real concern. Yeah. Um, next email, Liam, who's another regular emailer. So thank you, Liam. He says, "Hi guys, with the Warriors looking to have all games in New Zealand next year." Do you think it will be a convenient excuse for the NRL to have them play some of the games in Tonga, Samoa and Fiji and maybe the Cook Islands as well? They have said that they want to take over the Pacific Islands and taking premiership games there could help. If I had deciding power on the matter the Warriors would play their 12 home games in Auckland and the away games would be split between the Pacific Nations and other cities in New Zealand. P.S. Do you think a Pacific All-Stars team would work? Maybe have them play against the World All-Stars in the doubleheader at the start of the year?
0: Um, well, on, the new, on the Warriors thing, I, mean, I, was, I, I said last year that you know, for this season... Not that that's going to happen now because of what's happened with the COVID cases in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, but I was saying that this year what they should have had was all their home games at Auckland
2: mm-hmm.
0: and all their away games in other parts of New Zealand.
1: Yeah.
0: So that they don't have to travel anymore other than locally, so to speak. Um, but that's been botched around this year because of the COVID cases. I still think that that's what should be put in place for next year and probably the year after to make up for the two years they've been able to play at home. Yeah, I I agree. um, If they want to take some of those games to Pacific Islands, I suggest they take their away games to them. Um, That might might be an idea. Because I don't think they should have to sacrifice any more home games. They've done enough. They should be able to keep their home games. But take away games to those Pacific Islands, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I
1: agree 100%. And especially on you saying, like, not just one year, to two three years whatever it takes like they the Warriors have done fantastic to make that move in such a short term and their players committing to living in Australia for basically you know they're committing to stay here for eight months it's not just six mm. and yeah I agree just as soon as they can go back and play in New Zealand every game should be in New Zealand absolutely um here's another one from Liam he says hi guys I've got a question on expansion for you with expansions talks looking like it's finally going to happen I wanted to know your thoughts on how the NRL should handle it now the top grade doesn't typically have an odd number of teams for for a long time so do you do you think the 18th team will be announced to join the second Brisbane team in the competition uh and should it be Perth Adelaide or New Zealand or someone else. Also, if you had the power over the structure of the NRL and you had to plan how the game will expand over the next 20 years, where are you putting teams and how many will there be by 2040? And do all current 16 teams, particularly Sydney teams, make it to 2040? If it were me, I would have Perth and Adelaide, no question. New Zealand, second New Zealand team, Uh, maybe a central Queensland team based in the Sunshine Coast or a PNG team based in Cairns, and maybe even Darwin. And as for existing Sydney clubs, I'd let them stay if they can keep themselves financially viable. But if they constantly need bailouts... I would have a tough conversation with them about merging, relocation, or extinction. Extinction. Sorry for the long email. Keep up the good work, guys. So, thank you, Liam. You should see the long emails that PK sends us. These emails are are friggin' epic. We love them, too. So, keep sending them, PK. But, yeah, what do you reckon about – what would you – say you have to pick six expansion clubs that will be in over the next 20-odd years. Who would they be?
0: I'm going to – capital cities okay so i'd be going with um adelaide perth darwin um wellington probably christchurch and in a dream world port moresby okay i i would say
1: taking out the brisbane team because that's already here i would go perth adelaide and second New Zealand team, I, I think that I'd leave that up to New Zealand to work out where they wanted that team um, and, and not in this order by the way if those three could, I think you could put in any order, I think you'd probably put the second New Zealand team first actually and then from there I would say bring in the, the Hunters, the PNG Hunters Um, i probably agree with you on Darwin and then my sixth team would be Honolulu oh
0: yeah Throwback to our, I think first ever episode. I think it was. Hey, lovely stuff. Doesn't feel like that long ago, does it? Nah, three three decades ago or something. Like that. <laughs> um, I've I've mentioned a, a Darwin team quite a few times in these sort of discussions,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and a lot of people keep throwing up at me. You know, oh, their population is just not big enough, and I thought you know. How big does the population need to be in order to fill a 25,000-seat stadium? I'd imagine at least 25,000 people would be big enough. Yes. They've got a few hundred thousand in Darwin. Mm-hmm. And given that Darwin does not have um, any team at a national level in mm-hmm. AFL, NRL, rugby union, mm-hmm. soccer, if you put an NRL team there, that entire state is flocking to Darwin every time they've got a home game. Yeah and you only need to get 25,000 people in a stadium. Why couldn't it work? Yeah, I agree with you. I, like, I've come around to that. Um, I
1: think you would want to have a rectangular stadium in place. And I would, like, ideally you'd want it to be an indoor venue, but I understand that's a massive investment. But I think that considering we play NRL games there now, Parramatta takes games there, I think that the weather thing can be worked around, even if it's through the schedule of when you play games. Um, so yeah, I, I think it would work. And you know, as for Sydney clubs, I look, it's a really hard question. Um,
0: it'd be basically it'd be survival,
1: perish. I I would agree with that. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to have a team on the north shore of Sydney somewhere um, and, and to just generally fill out Sydney. But I think the thing I would do is I'd say to the West Tigers, you're going to Campbelltown full time. We've yep. talked about that before. Um, Penrith is Penrith.
0: You yeah, know, stop, trying to, stop, stop trying to fill the inner region with too many teams. You've already got yeah. Parramatta and the Bulldogs in that inner west region. Yeah. And the, for some reason they're clinging on to the West Tigers in that area. just the Tigers off to Campbelltown. That area is massive. Yeah. They need a full-time team. There's enough teams in the inner west as it is already. mm -hmm. And we've got the same sort of drama going south. You've got South Sydney, the Dragons, and the Sharks. Yeah, you've got to start thinking about moving the Dragons to Wollongong and sort of spreading those three teams out a bit further.
1: Yeah, and I think with those two problems that you mentioned, like... The thing that the the Tigers have going for them is they can move to to Campbelltown and that whole area, which is going to be massive in twenty years from now. Um, the and we with Souths, the Dragons and the Sharks. Like the Dragons can move move south. The Rabbitohs are kind of a all of Sydney team. I'm willing to say, but mostly the eastern suburb side of it. The Sharks are the one I worry about. Because they've got nowhere to expand to.
0: No, that's that's kind of the reason why I suggest that you know the Dragons should become a Wollongong South Coast based team, mm-hmm. and that would open up the region south of Newtown to Cronulla, which is what St George used to have. Yeah, and they would go back to having that area to themselves, and that's that's a bit more serviceable for a team. Um, south and the Roosters are, for me, they're the worrying areas is they're relying largely on money yeah, and getting players from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But the Roosters for a long time have been trying to get, you know, they've been relying on getting juniors from other clubs before other clubs develop them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Teams like Melbourne have been doing it for years because they have to. Yeah. But when you're in Sydney in a Heartland area and you've been around since day one and you're still doing that now, that should be ringing alarm bells and they should be, they, they either need to have more area or they're being, you know, them and South are eating one another alive till one of them dies. It's going to come down to money for which one survives out of all of that. And I think somehow we need to try and make sure there's more space there. I think there's South dragons and the sharks. are. there's too many in that area. And I mm-hmm. think because dragons are in the middle, they're the one you've got to move, especially when they've already got a base, you know, essentially in, in Wollongong. Why not make them a permanent move down there and capitalise on that area? Because at the moment, it's not getting anywhere near enough attention. Yeah, I, I agree, yeah.
1: And, and, and Canberra's
0: like taken it, most of it anyway. Yeah, in, ter- in terms of the juniors and stuff.
2: Mm.
1: That, you know, the thing that, that uh, I think is going to be the next big battleground in the NRL is junior areas and the way junior development is run managed and then how some teams spend way way less than other teams it because i I, if i was the NRL, that would be my next area i would target like i would say and we've talked about this i'd say to melbourne you got to restart your junior development in victoria and spend money on it um I, You know, I think that I would redraw the boundaries in Sydney and a lot of it would have to do with, um, you know, relocation or a movement of teams. So, like, for instance, the West Tigers, I'd say to them, the inner Sydney thing is over. You've got all of this Campbelltown region. Just focus on that now. And, and I would redraw the, the boundaries for junior leagues and stuff like that. And then I would, I'd I'd say, like, you've got to fund it. And then I wonder if there's going to be a moment in the NRL, especially, where we start seeing clubs that don't develop juniors having to pay clubs that do develop juniors, you know, because it's, you know, we know the ones that develop them, we, develop them, we know the ones that don't. It just can't keep going on like that.
0: That's right. That's right. Um Especially the West Tigers is the worst one because they've got a ton of teams and players and stuff at their doorstep. And when you consider the size, it's probably similar to what Penrith have got. Penrith are developing so many of them, bringing so many through, and the West Tigers are next to nothing in comparison. Yeah. And that's just, that's horrible. Yeah. There's a reason why Penrith made a grand final. The West Tigers haven't been in one for 15, 16 years. Yeah, and, and look, even I, when the Tigers did make it, it was with players from other parts of Australia. Anyway, it wasn't through locals. There was yeah. there was a bunch of local kids in there, but not as many as what Penrith have got on their side at the moment, and they didn't hang on to most of them anyway. I think that, like, if I was running the NRL, I'd
1: get the people from Penrith in and I'd say, "Tell me, tell me why you think this the area is successful in terms of developing players," because. It's not just what they bring into Panthers. That, like, they're bringing, literally bringing in plays to everyone. Like, there's very few teams that would not have a handful of Penrith Juniors in them. And, uh, it, you know, because everyone's got their battle lines drawn and they don't like to give an inch and, they, you know, there's a lot of egos involved. And, you know, this stuff sort of doesn't happen. And I think that they need to look at what works in the junior area out in Penrith and try and emulate it elsewhere. And if that just, it might flat out mean, you know, Penrith might go in and say, look, we spend a million bucks a year and no one else is spending that much. And that's why we have so many juniors. It might be that simple. It might be competition structure. It might be the way they feed their elite juniors through the grade system. Whatever it is, it's working incredibly well. And everyone else needs to be able to do that in their own area because there's not many teams you can look at and say, well, you know what, they, they produce heaps of juniors. You know, it, it, it's not good enough at the moment. I mean, right now it's like, you know, Penrith does it very well. And then I dare say the next best junior development regions maybe New Zealand. Like, and that and that's because they feed through a lot of Pacific talent, and that's Bristner's
0: that's not ridiculous. too bad either when you consider that you know we've still got a fair few players from from Queensland that are in the Storm, Titans, Cowboys, Broncos, mm-hmm. um, even a few of the Raiders. It's not as big as it used to be.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, they're, they're sort of it's a pretty big nursery up in Queensland. I don't know why the Broncos are so crap, other than you know bad recruitment, but um, and probably bad talent spotting. But there's enough talent around there. It's just not being developed properly or, or well enough.
1: Yeah, and exactly.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's a matter everywhere else. I think a lot of players oh, – sorry, a lot of clubs are just trying to find a quick fix every time they go and recruit a player. No one's thinking long term. Yeah, and uh, like that might be the case with Penrith where
1: they say, look, we've got all of these juniors – that gives us the time to develop them. You know, we, we don't have five juniors and we're hoping that one of them pays off. And if we see one that's better than the rest of them, we fast track them. We've got like 30 top juniors who, you know, we just take their time and see where the cream rises to the top. You know, whatever it is they're doing, it it's working. And I think we need to learn from it. We need to put money into other areas at the same level. And make every make every club need to spend as much as Penrith does. And I'm not making this a Penrith versus everyone thing. Um, it's just that Penrith just happens to be the the system that I'm looking at that's doing the best at the moment. Luckily for my club,
0: yeah, that's fair enough. Is there anything else you asked, or do we get it all? I think we got it all. Ah, oh, there we, we got
1: go. Um, next one's from Simon McGuinness who, yeah, I don't think he's emailed us before. He's got two emails here, which, oh, no, it's one. He's sent it twice. He says, hey, boys, which team or teams would shock you if they didn't make the first round or the semifinals this year?
0: Uh, Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, Mel- Melbourne, Penrith. <laughs> Melbourne, Penrith. Uh, the Roosters, South. I think those four are the, are the four benchmark sides. Uh, then you're looking at Parramatta, Canberra. Uh, just below them. and So I think those six teams are pretty much locks for the finals. I think the last two places are going to be somewhat contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to think Cronulla's probably got one of the better chances of getting one of those last two top eight spots. Yep. Um, just because they, they just constantly reach the finals somehow. Um yeah, the remaining spot's going to be tricky. The Titans look good uh, on paper.
2: hmm uh,
0: Newcastle, I think. Can yeah, Newcastle's looking pretty that. good. But, you know, they had a good start last year too and they and the year before, and they fell away pretty quick. Yeah. But hopefully they're a little bit more settled this year because they've had a lot of player changes for several years, and they haven't had as much this year. So hopefully that means a little bit more cohesion uh, and they, they sort of find their feet and keep in form for a bit longer.
1: Okay, I've got a question for you. Just say you take those top six teams you named, which I, I think we're in agreement there, if we had to lock six teams in at least, we would lock them in pretty comfortably off the top of our heads, right? Mm-hmm. If who of And I'm not, we're not saying they will, but if you had to pick the most likely of those teams... To for whatever reason fall out of the top eight at the end of the year, who would it be?
0: Mm, Probably. It's a tough one, eh? It is maybe Canberra. Yeah, I. I... And the thing is, okay, in twenty sixteen we saw their attack at Mm -hmm. the most devastating best, Mm -hmm. and then the years after their defence was a lot better. And their attack didn't, didn't click as well. It's still good. It yeah. didn't click as well. And I think last year we saw that they were starting to struggle a little bit. And I think because the game's constantly getting quicker. I don't know that their team has evolved as quickly as it needs to to, you know, make the most out of the new rules. Yeah. I think the pack is, I mean, they're big. I think if we're using 2016 rules, they would be dominating a lot of the competition at the moment. But because they're so big, like the Warriors side, they're going to struggle at the back end of games to close some games out. Um, yeah. happy to be corrected on that. I'm, I'm, There's still a strong team on paper, so I, I don't see Canberra struggling to make the finals, but I, I'd probably put them as a team that's maybe less mobile than the other teams I mentioned in the top six, and that may be a reason that they don't make it.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it would definitely be the most more likely, and I we both think they'll make the finals. But I,
0: I don't know. It's hard to say. I think I, I think there's so much of a gap between the top six and every other team. That's what makes yeah, it so hard. It really is.
1: Like, and I feel as though you'd need to have things go really pear shaped. Um, and like, part of me thinks you could still see that happen at Parramatta, but. Yeah, you
0: Paramount know. is a, a tricky one because when their attack sings, mm-hmm. no one stops it. No, and they can rack up cricket scores, mm-hmm. but when it's not, they're they're like a bottom four team in attack. Yeah, they like they. It's just a dead attack. There's yeah. nothing there. But the thing that saves them is the fact that their their defense is still a top four defensive side, and so yeah. it's kind of like watching. Um, 2014, 2015 type Cronulla Sharks where they just grind everything out and win games 12, 10, 14, 12, that sort of thing. They just constantly hang in there and get the job done, um, which is kind of what happened last year for, for Parramatta. Um, so that's the thing that they've got to work on is that that attack can just sometimes get a bit pedestrian. And I think a lot of it comes down to whether Moses chooses to run or not. Yeah, he, he's so
1: key to them like i mean we saw when he got injured last year that just killed their season basically if you look at it over the long term of their season um so yeah it's it's a it's hard because as you say it's you know the the top six is so different from the rest of the competition which is good because you know at one point we had a top four that was so different from everyone else so at least we're getting a bit of depth yeah um We got another email. This is the last email we've got here from Daniel Matua. I hope I've said that right, Daniel. He says, hey, uh, long-time listener, first-time emailer. After the first week of footy, has your guys' opinion on the Warriors changed or am I hyping myself up for for nothing like every year? Also, is it just me or hearing Matt Nable on all the Fox League promos getting annoying? (laughs) Cheers.
0: Oh, shit. Uh,
1: What about this bloke?
0: Oh, how about this fella? Um, Oh, Matt Nabel's always been that way. <laughs> what, speaking of annoying. Yeah. Did you see in the, oh, one of the games during the week already, Shane Flanagan's now a special guest commentator on Fox Sports. No, is he? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Like you said, what do you think, Shane? am I? Like, oh, I don't really give a fuck what Shane thinks, to be honest. Why are we asking Shane?
1: Yeah, it's. Uh... Are we going to bring in Bronson Cherry next? Let's give <sighs> About is Bronson Cherry trying to do a,
0: a pity party for himself. Yeah, um, why? And apparently Flano's commentating on Sen as well. Oh, really? Why? So it's it's really weird that they'll
1: sometimes you see the expert commentators that they bring in and their ex-coaches, and you kind of think to yourself, like Anthony Seabold, you pointed this out (laughs) in our website, talking about edge defences, and it's like, dude, you had one of the worst edge defences in the history of rugby league. Like, what are you talking about edge
0: defence for? Yeah. It was like, I think, two years ago, Matthew Elliott was the... um, well, it some sort of special coach or whatever it was they had on the NRL website and he was writing about how certain plays work, stuff like that, and I went, yeah, not the person I'd ask. Yeah, like if I had to write up a play and if it
1: was between Matthew Elliott and fucking Dez Hasler, I would go to Dez every single time. Yeah. And his would be like, just, have you ever watched a junior league game? You just pass it between forwards, dude. Yeah, give it to the
0: big guys, they'll do it yeah.
1: all.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck that works, but um, the Warriors. I don't know how they're functioning at the moment. Every time I look at them, I go, mm, I can't tip them this week, yeah. and then they go out and win. Um, they've got a they've got a interestingly balanced side. I think on paper, a lot of the players they've got as individuals are pretty solid, mm-hmm. but for some reason, they just don't look like an outfit that should meshed together as well as it has been. That's probably a good thing, because they're winning games. Well, they won one game out of two anyway. But, you know, the defences remained reasonably solid after Todd Payton had them, which surprised mm-hmm. me under Nathan Brown. Um, see,
1: I, I Unfortunately, I haven't got to see them this year. Just hasn't worked out for me. I'll watch them the next round and give a, a better opinion of what I'm
0: seeing. Um, They've got a huge pack, the biggest pack in the comp. Yeah. Um, Nick Arena has been playing reasonably well, which is always a good thing because, you know, if you've got a big pack and they are going forward, then if your attack can roll on from that, it means that your your forwards are having an easier job. And if they're constantly on the front foot, then they're not going to get worn out, um, which is the same thing Canberra's got going for them. But if they come up against a team that can run around them, slow them down, or put some early points on them, they're going to start playing from behind an awful lot and for, for a lot longer, it makes you wonder how long they'll be able to do that for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how it works there.
1: Just on uh, Matt and Abel, people mm-hmm. might not know this, but he's in one of the Riddick movies. Really? Yeah, and he's actually really, really good in it too, like, properly good. Um. If so, what one? I think it was just called Riddick, Um, and it's the last one that was put out. I can't remember what year it was from. It's probably about four or five years ago now. And I won't spoil anything, but yeah, he's in it. Check it out. He's very, very good in it. And uh, but yeah, he's the the way they've got him doing the the promos for
0: Fox Sports. He's not working with much, I don't think. No, they don't like, give him a script. They just say, talk about this bloke a fair bit. <laughs> um,
1: like, what you, What am I supposed to say about this guy? I don't know. Just have a look at him or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you know between Matthew Nabel and Paul Kent, they've played a combined total of nine first-grade games? Oh, really? Yeah, Nabel's got eight of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit.
0: What did uh, you think about Paul Kent
1: when he was going on about... Um, That Parramatta player, what's his name? I think of him as Matt O because somebody I know. Ryan Madison. Yeah. Ryan Madison. And like he's off con. He's got a player option for the end of this year. And his manager is seeing what he's worth on the open market, which is what his manager's job is. And Paul Kent was fucking laying into him over it. And I just thought it was really. It was uh, kind of cynical and gross. It was a wow. real journalist move.
0: Why is he shitty over? I mean, doesn't every player do that? Like they're an idiot if they don't.
1: Yeah, moronic if they don't. If your manager's not seeing what your your market value is every single year, even if you're under contract, fire them. Yeah. That just seems nuts. Uh Paul Kent's an idiot. Yeah. I just it was something that stuck with me that of a former player should know better.
0: That's true. Um, speaking of idiots called Paul, mm-hmm. Paul Crawley wrote a piece last week where he was criticising um, Damian Cook for not running enough. And the South forwards came out and pretty much said, well, you know, we didn't do our jobs, which makes his job a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And I went, yeah, that's kind of like the first thing people realise about football is that if your forwards aren't laying a platform, your attacking players can't do much. Exactly. Poor old Mr. Crawley doesn't know that yet. He's just gone onto the internet website and gone, oh, Damien Cook doesn't run as much anymore. Oh, I us write an article about that. And that's his, that's the level of his genius. That's probably the most research he's ever done. You know what I
1: find really weird is that like the way that the media covers the game, it's everything's an attack so instead of saying like, you know, and it's it's one game, right? But instead of saying like, Damien Cook isn't running for as many meters as he normally as he normally would. Why is that? How's that affecting the team? And it, has he got the ability to change that? You know, or is this the way that South's going to play? Instead of doing that, it's like, oh, Damien Cook, he's not putting in. You know, yeah. It's a it's a mindset of how you cover the game, I feel.
0: No, I fully agree. That's it, kind of the way they're looking at it. Mm. Almost like they were blaming him for the fact that they lost in round one and talking about the fact he didn't run as much last year. You know, yeah, sometimes it, that's just not what's needed. Yeah. And it, a good weird. hooker will know when to run. You know, if he's running all the time, it could be to the detriment of the side. Yeah. You've got to pick and choose your moments. And Cook is not a greedy player, so he will run when there's. Generally, if you, A, can see that there's an opportunity for him, or B, if there's nothing else on. Mm -hmm. You know, his main option is always going to be, I've got to service the ball out to the halfback or a forward or something like that. It's always about going forward, team first. That's how these people think. The way Paul Crawley thinks is he should be selfish and doing everything himself. Yeah, yeah. That's not how any football team functions. It just can't.
1: No, and, like, the cool thing about 2021, I think, is blatantly obvious. Like, even if you go back a few years ago, I feel as though the rugby league journalists had a lot more um, sway over how people felt about the game. And I I think that that's completely dissolved now. Like, you don't see people... Spitting out the same lines that you saw journalists spitting out, there's a, a real pushback because you're getting so much more information from so many different sources now. Um, podcasts, independent writers, you know that like just people on social media talking about the game between themselves. Um, and so I, I just don't think they have the sway and I think the way they try and get attention is they attack a player. Yeah. or they attack something the club is doing. And in, instead of it being reasoned, you know, questions about how a team is playing or something, it's just an attack piece to get the hits. No,
0: I fully agree. You know, I was cooking dinner the other night, and I had NRL 360 came on after um, a game's replay had played out. And I'm not paying any attention. I'm just doing stuff. and I just turn around and go on. All they've done for the last 20 minutes is yell at one another. I went, this is so tiring. Mm. But that's what they do. It's just got to attack each other, attack, 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 attack. And they do it to each other. They attack whenever they can. And then they've got a segment on there where you've got to vigorously defend something or whatever. And they had made Jeff Tuvey talk talk up rugby union or some shit. And I was like, what the fuck is this crap? Yeah. I can't. It's too combative. It's too just uh, too draining to sit through that. Yeah. They don't have proper discussions anymore. Not that they had many of them in the past, but they're having even less of them now than they ever have before. And they're all just going, let's try and attack each other as much as we can so that we can get a headline out of whatever it is we're talking about. And so they become the story instead of the actual game being the story. Yeah, and like... I, like we I think... had we had it with a couple of weeks ago. We had Paul Kent. No, was a Paul Kent? No. Bloody old Buzz Rothfield bitching about Cooper Cronk having a coaching gig at Melbourne, another one at the Roosters. Mm-hmm. Who gives a fuck?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think most more people are saying who gives a fuck about, the, you know, these outlets. And the thing that, like, the final step is when you disconnect yourself from them completely and you stop paying attention, stop reading them. Because, you know, like, when you just watch the football and you, you get your love, you'll get your love back for the football, and it's really easy to get, you know, to follow all of these supposed news stories. None of them really matter. Um, you know, occasionally you'll get something that will come up and it'll be interesting. But most of the stuff that is written by mainstream media outlets does not matter. And it doesn't have anything to do with football either. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's not um, insightful. No, no. There's like, you're not learning anything. No, nah. You're not, you know, you're not finding out about, You're not even finding out about your favourite players or anything. It's not like you're like, oh, he's into this or this person's like this.
0: It's just like noise that they're generating for themselves. Yeah. There was another article during the week where they tried to do this expose thing or, you know, mystery thing, clickbait sort of article, Mm -hmm. which teams had the worst recruitment in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And every person who, you know, half says but regularly goes, oh, that's the West Tigers. Mm Mm-hmm. And sorry if it goes in there and it's, oh, it's the West Tigers, and goes on about how they let this person go, let their player go. Yeah, we know. We've been watching the game. We know this. Yeah. Everyone knows it. All right. What's your point? And again, There is no point. That's the thing. You do an article like that because you've got nothing to write about because you don't know anything about the game. Yeah. And that's what they do. This is why I was so passionate when I did my uh, rugby league project annual, mm-hmm. which you can download or view for free on the homepage of our website yep rugbyleagueproject.org um, i wanted to get as many independent rugby league analysts writing on it and so that's what it goes so if you go on there and have a look through it you'll find you know all these rugby league analysts on there and you can go and check out their own individual work their own their twitter handles are all there so you can go and follow them on there that's what i want it to be is promoting those people and all independent people mm-hmm. not mainstream people because they're not analysts, and the ones that are are not doing enough analyzing. You know, Mick Ennis is a very good analyst. Doesn't do enough of it because he keeps getting drawn into doing these arguments and bitch fighting sessions. Cooper Cronk's another one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Good analyst. Has to go and do bitch fighting and arguing and stuff like that all the time. And uh, Fox Sports are they're kicking their own ass for no, for no benefit. It's just stupid. It really is.
1: And, like, I brought this up on Twitter. There's a young bloke that they've brought in. I believe his name is Jake Duke. Yes. Um, And he he's really stood out. He's only been on the coverage this year. Apparently he used to work for Channel 9. And I've never heard of him before. And he, he started popping up on their coverage. Really, really good. He tells you, it, it gives you information. It's just all information about the game. Mm. And th- that's it. Like, that is literally it. He just gives you stuff that you didn't know about. And it's really weird because I was like, holy crap, like, this is fantastic. And it's really weird how that stands out so much. It's like when you watch Billy Slater calling the game. And Billy Slater's breaking down plays and telling you what the fullback's doing and, you know, all of these, you know, things to watch for. And you're watching it and you're like, this is fantastic. This
0: is what commentary should be. Yeah, that's what we had when Peter Sterling first started doing commentary. It was, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. Um, yeah, Jake's been really good too because he's... I saw today he was doing uh, pre-match interviews with a few players.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He only gets asked like three or four questions, but all of them were really smart and clever. Yep. None of them were snarky or trying to create some sort of drama or some sort of shit like that. Just asking genuine... Good questions, but not the same boring, typical ones. Yeah, I mean, and not like things like,
1: I saw your you TikTok video this week where you are dancing. It's like, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. Ask about the football.
0: Yeah. Well, three years ago, you had a bit of a dust-up with this bloke. you going to go there and renew hostilities? Yeah. Like, oh, the hell, what are you talking about? So, yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we're due to do an episode where we're completely bitch about the media. We haven't done that yet, have we? No, we haven't, not this year. I don't I, think you, people understand that we don't like the rugby league media too much.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know if that comes across.
1: Yeah. I mean, we occasionally call them sociopaths, drunks,
0: degenerate
1: gamblers, you know. Yeah, you, always know you, you always know the gambler ones because they always turn everything into a horse race. and Well, they yeah.
0: talk about horse racing more than anything else.
1: Yeah, yeah, where they'll be like, You know, some player will fucking not score a try and they'll be like, oh, that was like a beaten favourite at Flemington on Saturday. It's like, what are you talking about?
0: (laughs) I had a mate of mine tell me that Kenty has a a new segment on his show where he talks about something that makes him happy or some shit like that. And the first thing they asked him was, you know, what made you happy this week in Rugby League? And he went on about some horse that he put money on that Brian Fletcher owns a share in or some shit. I went, wow, that's the most... Very nearly not rugby league thing I've heard him come up with. Okay, here's a good here's a good test for us. What's something in rugby
1: league that's made you happy this week?
0: Um, not having to watch anything on Fox Sports because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. every now and then, like, in, in previous years when we first started doing the Ask Kenty ones, yeah, I used to watch one episode a week mm-hmm. when he had the Ask Kentys on to find out what his answers were. Yeah. I don't have to sit through the entire freaking thing because, you know, the first few times I did it, I kept forgetting that it was all done at the end of the episode. (laughs) So I'm sitting through watching the whole thing going, man, I fucking hate this show. I was just rage watching it the whole time. And then I went, yeah, you know what? I'll do far too much prep work. I just need to read out the questions and and answers and just just go with that. And they got the Ask Katie episodes we'll do and got better after that. Yeah. Um, I'm not having to to sit through that. And I didn't realize that that was a problem until I... You know, I overheard some of it the other day and I went, oh, man, I'm glad I don't watch this crap anymore. Yeah,
1: like I stopped watching it the year before last.
0: And I was like, you know, like
1: it was the start of the season and I sat down and started and I watched it for, I think, three weeks. And I was just like, I'm not enjoying this. This is like, it's not even about not enjoying it. It's like, this is horrible. This is actually not nice at all. And when I stopped watching it, it was like, oh, I just found, like, three
0: hours during the week. This is great. And it's all relaxing. I, the show is so combative. Mm. And it's combative with no purpose. Yes. No value. And then you walk away going, well, I'm angry now. I don't know why. <laughs> and I don't know if I like rugby anymore. Like, what's yeah. the point of this show? I don't get it. It's just complete empty
1: calories. Like, there's no <laughs> payoff at the end of it. There's nothing. Nah. No. There's
0: nothing. It's just, it's just a horrible thing. Yeah. I'm trying
1: to think of something I'm happy about in rugby league this way. But you know what? I really, really enjoyed that that uh St Georgia Laura Dragons vs Cowboys game. It was scrappy. It was weird. It was crazy. Like it's it was frantic. It, yeah, it was just the like you didn't know what was gonna happen next. And there was just something about that game I really enjoyed. I watched the Panthers play today. They won 28-0. But I've got to say, I enjoyed that game that was up in Townsville probably more than any game that I've watched so far. So um,
0: just something about it. It was really cool to see. Actually, the other thing I enjoyed was um, this this could just be a backtrack for last week. Mm -hmm. I love that set play that the Sharks did off the scrum last week. I saw it again during the week this week. Yeah. Fuck that was a nice move. <laughs> <laughs> left, left, inside ball right try. I mean it it seems so simple but it just everything just clicks so nicely along the way. Just beautiful to watch. You know set pieces like that it
1: reminds me of like the kangaroo the Australian Kangaroos teams of the early 90s that did a lot of that stuff where yes they would just put on these plays and like Great Britain didn't know what the fuck was going on. And you would see like a Renoff or a Meninga or a Daly, like all of these great players just, just slipping over for a try. It didn't matter who it was. And it, but that, it was just like watching a well old machine and it just went boom and it was done and it was over. And everyone
0: was just like, oh my God, what was that? I'll tell you what, I put it to you that 1990. 1990- was the last year that English rugby league had superb defence because when you look at that 1990 kangaroos team mm. and realise that they just beat great britain in that series yeah like every game was decided by what less than 6 points
2: mm-hmm.
0: and even the tour games where they played against st helens wigan etc cetera, etc cetera, the most points australia would score on those was 30 points or 36 or something like that. they never got i don't think they ever got to 40 in a game yeah. And you look at the quality they had in those sides, the fact that even club teams could keep them to under forty
2: mm-hmm.
0: is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Even the French teams, I mean, they got dicked by sixty odd. But when you look at how strong that Australian team was, you're going, how did they not score more points?
1: Yeah, like every so often you'll see an Australian team come together where y- you get these all-time great, but like, you, you always have an all-time great in an Australian team there or thereabouts, whether at the start of the their the, uh, career or at the end of it, whatever. But every so often, they'll just all come through at the same time. And that in early 90s was very much like that, where, you, like, someone like a Meninga in that team was the elder statesman. And really, he was kind of pretty young for an 30. elder statesman. He was 30. Yeah, yeah. So... So, yeah, and, like, I think we, we had one with, like, the teams that had Inglis and Slater and Smith and Thurston. Like, that's ridiculous. Um,
0: well, here's a squad from 1990 where Greg Alexander, Gary Belcher, Martin Bella, Mark Carroll, John Cartwright, Laurie Daly, Ben Elias, Andrew Eddinghousen, Brad Fittler, Mark Geyer, David Gillespie, Michael Hancock, Des Hazler, Chris Johns, Alan Langer, Glenn Lazarus, Bob Lidner. Cliff Lyons, Brad Mackay, Mark McGall, Mal Meninga, Steve Roach, Mark Sargent, Dale Shearer, Paul and Ricky Stewart, Carrot and Kevin Walters. This side was so strong, it kept Wally Lewis out. It kept Wayne Pears out. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And I'm pretty sure Mal was the only 30-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of young players in that side. Yeah. Just phenomenal outfit. They scored 42 points against Cumbria. And that was the only time they scored forty against any of the English teams.
1: And the thing to remember, like back then, it's nineteen ninety, right? And Australia had last lost a series twelve years earlier. But we're still doing we're still doing tours, so it's like a, f- a few cycles. Like, and it's still pretty recent, you know, like twelve years ago. It, like, it was 13 years ago when Australia lost the World Cup in 2008, which is, it, it's not really that long ago. It's a few mm. cycles. It's still within, like, the modern rugby league realm. So, there was still, like, it wasn't, like, it's hard, It's easy to forget that at that point, it wasn't like they'd had decades of failure. It was just a bit of a, a run that Australia had been on. Yeah. Um. You know, and it's weird that, that they never really it, it just all sort of kept crumbling from that point. I mean, by the mid nineties they were pretty good. They could give us a game, but we were definitely better than them. And by the yeah. end of the nineties we were walking through
0: them. And yeah, that's, that's ten right.
1: years that's ten years itself.
0: Yeah. That nineteen ninety tour is probably one of the best tours to watch. To watch both both hemispheres playing against one another, because mm. you can see that Australia was better, not immensely, but by enough. Mm-hmm. You know they beat Widnes fifteen to eight. They beat Halifax 36-18, Beat Hull thirty four to four. These are not out and out thrashings. Yeah, Castleford twenty eight to eight. Warrington twenty six to six. Leeds 22-10, Wigan thirty four six. And Helens thirty four four. Wakefield, 36-18. That's basically nearly all of their top-grade teams. Yeah. They're not out-and-out absolute thrashings. And that's the thing is that they're just the club teams against Australia's best. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was thinking. Like, that was possibly the last time English Rugby League was at its defensive strongest. Yeah. From there, it just – it was downhill, and it was a pretty rapid – as you point out, pretty rapid descent, and it hasn't improved. Yeah. Yeah, and, like –
1: like the I guess the last remnant of British rugby league's greatness on on the world level in rugby league was you know Wigan continued it forward for a, a three or four more years at club level, but then they fell away as well and like as the last the, and the the one that really I got to see properly was the the nineteen ninety four kangaroo tour and I watched the everything that was on t v over here um you know, it, I think they showed a few club games as well during that. And I loved it. It's yeah. what I credit to ruining my sleeping patterns the first <laughs> time in my life. But, um, it, but and then the 95 well, cup rolls around and we put send over half our, our squad and we win it. And Come then complete. after that, it's it's not even a contest for, yeah. I mean, it's still not been a contest really. No, nah,
0: not even close. I don't remember what the email was about now. Uh, <laughs> we're not on a tangent there. I took us down a rabbit hole elsewhere. Uh, oh the Warriors.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> talking about
1: the Warriors. That's exactly I'll, what we're talking about. I tell you what, Daniel, I'll I'll watch the Warriors next week. Um I'm, I'm filthy at myself that I haven't seen them yet this year, and I'll I'll let you know what I think of them when I've watched them next week. Lovely. You Can you hear the rain here? No. Wow, this microphone cancels out so many sounds. It's pouring.
0: No, can't hear it.
1: Wow, that's incredible. (laughs)
0: It's fantastic. That
1: means that I can do all sorts of stuff and no one will be able to hear it. There you go. Excellent.
0: Uh, Was that it for the emails? Yeah, that's it. Oh, lovely. Well done. Yeah, That's good. Are you making pizza dough? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was doing. That's right. Um. We did have a review come in. Oh, what's it say? From RJP97, from Great Britain. Oh, nice. He said, best rugby league podcast, five stars. Thank you for consistently providing the best analysis of our game and the NRL. Your knowledge on the players, clubs, coaches, organisations, and the comprehensive history of rugby league is second to none. Another great season preview. Keep up the good work. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks, RJP. We'll call you Bob.
1: That's great. The... uh, We've had a lot of listens. We're still getting a lot of listens on the season preview, which is interesting because the season started already. Um, But it's pretty good. We have a good rundown of what we think of teams, where we think they'll finish. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go back, have a listen. It's not out of date at all. Like, we recorded it, I think, was it a day or two before the season kicked off. So it's still really
0: relevant. Yes. Now, one thing I want to do before we go um, and wrap this thing up. Mm Mm-hmm. Is the footy tip and competition? Yes, who's leading it? Right, I was just going to say we've got uh, thirty-six people in the comp, Mm -hmm. and at the moment, Sean Dolan. Don't know if you've heard of him.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. He's leading the competition. For those who don't know, Sean Dolan is the bloke who invented Rugby League Project. He is the god amongst men.
1: How many has he got his tips round?
0: He's got all four this week, and I'm pretty sure he got all ten last week. So he hasn't got one wrong yet. Wow. Yeah, That's pretty impressive. Um, James Cunningham and Nadine. Stevie. James Cunningham's a, a Patreon of mine, I'm pretty sure. Oh, good man. Steve Bell. Um, Dick at Devil's Saw Squirters. They're all on 13. Good work, people. Um, para- Marksman Plays. Sarah Miller, Aaron Gutzel, and the Glorious League Freak have all got 12 at the moment. This includes this round as well.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Daniel Watson-Hayes, Brett Sharman, Stone Gossard from Twitter. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Uh, That's Jack. He's a big fan. Andy Marzelay. I don't know how to pronounce his surname, but I thought I'd try and put a bit of a fancy sound on there.
1: Well, he needs to email us every two weeks telling us how to say his
0: name. Yeah, well... We'll continually say it, uh, say it completely wrong until one day we flick it and say it right. Uh and Jeremy Agar okay, have all got eleven. Um Il Freak, Kirk Galbraith, uh Lachlan Armstrong, David McNeil, Peter Raisha, Gary Finch, Bob Harvey, David Kingsom, Adam Bates, and yours truly all on ten. Nice. Um and then we've got uh Rugby League Mums, mm-hmm. Regan Seaton, Stephen Gibson, Samuel Sampson, and Thomas English all on nine. Jack Anderson, Simon McInnes, uh, Jack Isaacson, and Colin Cody on eight. Brandon Mavinel is on seven. Liam Richardson is on six. And Sean Ma is also on six at the bottom. And that's our list so far. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that
1: pans out over the next month. Um how are you feeling about your tips so far? I'm pretty I, I'm pretty happy with who I've tipped and I feel like the games I've lost, it's like uh, I, I still would have tipped the team that I
0: tipped. I don't feel like I've gone, oh man, I should have tipped the other team. Yeah, look I think I summed up in a conversation we had not on air last week about my tipping and that is usually round one, mm-hmm. pretty solid. And then it's all fucked after that. <laughs> I had six last week. I was like, yeah, six. That's not bad. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be in the top 10 easy. He didn't have a look on there. I'm like 23 and everyone, you know, there's five people who got all 10 right. And (laughs) it's like, oh man, (laughs) I'm already starting in the bottom half of the draw. It's only going to be worse from here, Ronnie. You see, like I, I normally
1: get better as the season goes on. So when I see that I've started pretty solidly, I'm
0: happy. All right. So, yeah. Interesting. I did. I do go a bit over the top when it comes to margins. Yeah, because you, like,
1: with the margin for the Souths game, you put in, did you put in 50 or 40? Yeah, I put in South to win by 50. Yeah, and you know what? Because we talked about this, I was like, that. I I can't be against that. And I was really happy with my 30-point margin. And I'm thinking, oh, Souths are going to smash it. South. And do you know, it was about, the <laughs> game kicked off at 5.30, right? Had torrential rain all weekend. And it was at about 3.30 that I thought to myself, you know what? It's fucking pouring rain. They're not going to score heaps of points.
0: <laughs> well, all, so I saw South Scott after seven minutes. I went, mean, oh, it's on. And they scored again seven minutes later. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting this easy. And then that was it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, oh. So, yeah, I'm always going to have the worst um, margin on there. Mine's currently sitting at 36 difference, which is worse than anybody else's. <laughs>
2: Oh jeez,
1: I didn't even know you could do mark them pick like what the margin was going to be in the first round. So I I only did that for this round so far. But I think I automatically picked last week for the Roosters game nine. So, you
0: know, oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, I I undersold that one. Yeah, what so did I you? Was out, I don't know. I was out by twenty two. I might have actually. I might have put. Can't, roosters down for like a 60-point win or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, fun and games. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's wrap this it. up before I have yeah. to go and build an arc. That's a good idea. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you tune in to us on uh, on the socials at Twitter and Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. We're also on MySpace, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. Do I get them all? I think uh,
1: so think that's all of
0: them yeah, yeah. check yeah. us out um subscribe to us on all of those and watch all the videos that'd be fantastic don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review on your podcast listening app. that'd be fantastic uh we'll read it out on the podcast and we'll put them up on our website as well yep also go to manscape.com who are our
1: wonderful sponsors and show them you care by buying some of their genital care products genital care products are second to none. And if you use our code, which is NRL, you'll get 20% off on free shipping. And everything comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get the perfect package. It comes with the boxes, the microfiber boxes. Seriously, your boys are going to love them. And it comes with the Lawnmower 3.0. It comes with the ball deodorant, everything. It's wonderful. You will get everything you need in the Perfect Package 3.0, but make sure you use NRL as your code at checkout because it's 20% off and free shipping.
0: Fantastic. And uh, make sure if you want to send us a, uh, an email or a question, you can do that via the website too, Freaky. Yeah, go to furgoandthefreak.com,
1: click on the contact section and leave us, you know, an email. You can ask us questions, you can make statements, you can give us opinions, whatever you want.
0: What more could you want? We're here to service you. In the Whoa. best possible way possible. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> Pump the brakes, Andrew.
1: They can listen to the podcast and, you know, if they listen for long enough, then we'll service Hey, look, we're talking about our balls. I was just in the mood. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you going again. Oh. There
0: you go. You're moist. Shave balls. You know. i got carried away. Yeah, it's all good. Gets to go, yeah, yeah. It's all good. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Catch us all next time.